Hey everybody, welcome back to Finance in a Flash. On this episode, we answer an all-important question in what type of investment account should I use? So this is a common question a lot of people have. They may come in and say, I have a lot of money, I would like to invest. Where should I put it? What type of investment account should I open? And it's not really a simple question that, you know, one size fits all. It's kind of complicated and it can, you know, as we always say, the question, to answer to the question is, it depends. And to answer this question, we bring back Chip High Miller. It's been a few weeks, Chip. Uh, how are you doing? Man, I've really missed being on, on this show here. It's uh, it's a lot of fun doing this. And so when I, I don't uh, get a chance to come on, it's, uh, you know, it upsets me a little bit. So I'm glad to be back. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Stephanie um, was on our last episode. It was kind of a get to know you episode um, with Stephanie. And she, um, I think it was the first time ever talking to a microphone. So yeah, she crushed exciting. it, though. Yeah. I mean, she, we've gotten a lot of feedback from that. And uh, apparently there's a, a lot of Stephanie fans. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, go back and listen. It's, it's very uh, personal about her journey and, uh, you know, what's what's going on in her career and life and I think it's uh, super interesting so uh, but I'm glad to get back in in the captain's chair here and yeah. uh, um, come back on today yeah and that was our third episode we've done on kind of like get to know Beacon uh, done on myself Nick and then we've had John Stephanie and then the next week or so, hopefully we'll get Chip and Aaron and talk about the history of Beacon. Well, nobody cares about us. <laughs> so that's okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, but anyways, uh, Chip, we got an important question to answer today. And um, and a lot of people ask this question, and it's just, you know, it's, you know, comes with financial literacy and getting your, you know, your beak wet in the, the business. But it is an important question when, you know, a client may come to us, say, I have $100,000. What do I do? What do I open accounts? What goes on? And so I guess we're going to kind of start and go through different account types. Is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, I think I think we can hit on each different types of account. But I think it's it's good to, to take a, a holistic standpoint and to say uh, front and center, we don't know what's going to happen with regards to tax laws in the future. And, and not only is it a situation of actually the federal tax code, but it's also personal circumstances. So you could have a situation where people in um, retirement are in a higher tax bracket than when they were in their working years. It just depends on the circumstances of their situation. So that this decision is all predicated on um, it's, a tax, it's a tax discussion. And so, um, but it's an important one to kind of understand the logistics of each of the different types of accounts, pros and cons, and that sort of thing, in order to make uh, the decision that that uh, is best for a client. Yep, and uh, that's a great lead-in. So we're going to start out with um, describing what a personal brokerage account is, which we say that word a lot of times, and I feel like we get some blank stares and questions like, what do you mean? Essentially, this is a, that's a complicated term for a regular vanilla investment account, right? Yep. It's just like a bank account, except you can buy, uh, you can invest in, in businesses and exchange traded funds and mutual funds and, and that sort of thing. And so what are, and you know, we talked kind of talked about the tax consequence, but what, you know, let's say I have a fund, I buy $100,000 in Apple, it goes up to $200,000. I can just sell it, get rid of it, no problem, right? 
you can do that. That's right. Yep. And you can have one thing to point out too, just kind of backtrack a little bit. You know, the registration of these accounts can be an individual's name, you know, Chip Heimiller personal yeah. brokerage account, or it can be a joint, you know, so uh, spouses can have uh, just like a bank account. You have a joint account there. And, but you're right. It's, it's a way for people to use excess funds that they may have uh, to invest and it can go, it can have any type of the investment strategy is uh, unlimited. So, you know, you can invest in an individual stock like, like the um, example you gave with Apple. You could also invest in, you know, mutual funds or exchange traded funds, whichever your, you know, your preferences uh, are with that regard. And so what would be the, w- would there be any tax implication for selling funds within the, within these accounts? Yeah. So um, personal brokerage accounts, uh, there's two different types of uh, categories of tax. So there's uh, capital gains, like in the example you said, you, you uh, invest 100000 in Apple stock, it goes up to 200000 uh, and you sell Apple, well, you've, you're taxed at the time of sale on those gains. If you were to just hold Apple, um, you uh, wouldn't be taxed on the gains. Now, if Apple pays a dividend to you, you would be taxed each year on the dividend. So any dividends um, that happen, interest from bonds, um, or CDs or something like that, those are, you would receive a 1099 from the custodian and uh, that would that would filter onto your tax return. Yeah, and so, I mean, and so the only thing here, you know, if you go to, you know, a Vanguard, a Fidelity, a Schwab, a, a TD, you say, I want to open an investment account, here's $5,000, whatever the fund, whatever the money may be, nine times out of 10, it's going to be a personal brokerage account, right? That's right. Yeah. Yep. And so the only tax implication we have to worry about there is capital gains, which is based on the capital gains rate, which is associated with your, your income for that year. Yeah. So that's a good point. So in, in the U.S., the capital gains rates right now, at least, are different than ordinary income tax rates. So, uh, and it's actually more favorable. So the rates are lower. And so, you know, you can have a situation where, um, you know, it's it's very um, beneficial for your, if you look at the distribution of your income, you, you'd rather have uh, capital gains than ordinary income yeah. or earned income. So uh, just the tax rates are lower. And so that's a very huge benefit, um, especially when you start thinking about, um, you know, distributions in retirement and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and there are no income restrictions to putting money into a brokerage account, right? Like anyone can open an account and contribute to it. There are no income restrictions. Now, keep in mind that in some cases, an investment might have a minimum investment level. So that's something just to be aware of. But there's definitely no income restrictions um, on a personal brokerage account. Anyone can have that, um, you know, as long as they're old enough to sign a contract and that sort of thing. Gotcha. So... Um, do you have anything else to add before we move on to our next um, investment account? Um, no, yeah, th- that's the only thing. I mean, just keep yeah. in mind that it's it's uh, the sky. The, there's tons of ways to invest there, yeah. and um, you know, just be aware of that, and just you know, take advantage of of this uh, with uh, what you can. You can also. It's important with personal brokerage that you know you can use the funds whenever you'd like. So there are no restrictions on how you uh, and the timing of, um, you know, how you use the funds. You could literally, you could invest in a mutual fund 
or an exchange traded fund and decide six months later that you no longer want to uh, or you need the money for something and you could sell that fund and um, you know and then you can use those funds there's no restrictions there so that's an important um, element especially as we go into other types of accounts here yeah um, where there are restrictions yeah exactly and that you know this is the most you know liberal account that you can that you can get into which leads us to the next account, which is the hardest and probably has the most restrictions, um, potentially, which is a Roth IRA. Um, so Roth IRA is a retirement account that you can't really take. You can take your contributions out before 59 and a half, but you cannot take earnings out um, or your tax, you know, with, hit with a 10% penalty. Um, you know, there's some other penalties there that we can talk about a little bit later, but the important thing here is that you can only contribute $6,000 a year if you're under 50 years old. You can do 7,000 if you're over 50 and there are income restrictions with these, you know, with these accounts. I think, you know, for 2021, if you, you know, if you make over $125,000 if you're single or around $198,000 joint, that number declines and you kind of get phased out of contributing to a Roth IRA. Yeah, that's right. And Roth IRAs are, uh, it, there's a couple of restrictions, but man, there's some, there, it's a really strong uh, account. I yeah. mean, it's, it's a, it has so many advantages. Yeah. and Which uh, is why there are restrictions because yeah, I mean, of how great it, they can be. Yep, that's right. And, uh, and really the restrictions, there are ways to overcome, overcome certain elements of the restriction. You know, like for example, once you've uh, had an, a Roth IRA for a certain period of time, you can you can take out your original contribution. Yeah. In fact, you can you can always take out your original contribution, and that's kind of a nice um, feature, right? So if you contribute five thousand to a Roth and decide or figure out that you you know something comes up and you needed that money, you can always take out the five thousand, but you would be taxed and penalized on any amount above that. Yeah. And so that's a pretty good. Um, you know, uh, it's 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 a little bit more flexible than what you know uh, perhaps people uh, say that they are. But that it's it's a good investment account to own, especially when you think about the long term tax implications of um, of a Roth IRA. Yeah, because you know when you take after your fifty nine and a half, you can take out essentially you can take out the whole account value and pay nothing, right? Yeah, that's right, zero. It's tax. It's a ta- tax exempt account. Um, and you know, so, you know, if you really think about it, that's where you want your money to be, right? Because in retirement, you know, you don't really want to be encumbered by the tax, uh, impact of, uh, pulling money, you know, when you're taking distributions. And so, you know, what, what I really like to see, especially for people who are younger, um, and really anybody to have, to fund as much as they can, the Roth IRA, that's such a strong, Uh, benefit of having tax-free uh, deferral and compounding over time. Um, and it's just something that uh, is, is super strong and something everyone should work on. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, with these accounts, sometimes we do tend to, you know, and obviously it depends for every client. I don't say every single person listening should go, you know, 100% stocks or Roth IRAs, but these do tend to be, generally speaking, more aggressive accounts than a brokerage account or an IRA just because you're not paying tax on on those gains. Yeah, and you and you really want to leverage the fact that it's it's tax exempt, right? So and the best way to me to leverage that over a long period of time is to invest in growth assets. And so 
we really like to see you know, uh, people have maintain a fairly growth-oriented posture in their Roth IRAs. And, of course, everything's dependent on a person's specific uh, risk profile and that sort of thing. But, you know, if I'm, if I'm uh, advising clients, you know, this is the account where you want to take the most growth for most people. And yeah. so you, you really want to invest it uh, with a growth tilt. Yeah, and like Chip said, these are completely, you know, tax exempt. So like uh, like we talked about in the brokerage accounts, if you had that $100,000 in Apple, sold it for 200000 that 100000 would be taxed at your capital gain, capital gains rate. Well, here there's, you can buy and sell till you turn blue in the face and there's no ramification. Now, granted, it might not be the best strategy, but if we're talking about capital gains, there are no capital gains within IRAs. Not in Roth IRA, yep. that's right, yep. And so... Um, yeah, like you said, it's really important for especially younger people who may not be in the income phase out yet to contribute to those Roth accounts because this is money that is usually last on deck for them to use in their life, and that money just keeps growing, you know, exponentially for you know until they were taken out, which is the tax-free nature is just incredible. Yep, and there's lots of strategies, right? You have a um, a 15-year-old who has a summer job and um, you know, you should encourage them to, hey, let's open up a Roth. I'll match the money that you can fund as long as you, and you can contribute up to the amount of your earned income, you know. Uh, that's the, that would be the maximum in, in this case, mm-hmm. uh, $6,000 or, or earned in, the amount of un- earned income. And so, you know, I would really in, encourage parents, grandparents, and that sort of thing to, um, you know, offer guidance to say, hey, look, a Roth IRA is a great way to do that and, uh, and accumulate money over time. It's a, it's a strong um, account that, that is going to benefit them in the long term. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree completely. And so, you know, is there anything else you wanted to, to add before we go into the traditional IRA? Nope. Okay. Uh, do you want to, yeah, you, I'll let you, I'll let you uh, play the host on this one. What, um, or I guess, you know, what is, I'll let you explain, what is a, an IRA? And I guess kind of lump in maybe the 401k with it. Yeah, well, let's talk about the 401k. And it, and, there, and we're kind of using these types of accounts interchangeably from yeah. the standpoint that they, from a tax standpoint, they are uh, pretty much the same. Uh, but 401ks, uh, you know, everyone who's had a job probably is aware of a 401k plan. I think that it's it's an easy account, an account's already established for uh People, when they get their first job, it's you sign up for the 401k plan and start deferring money into the 401k plan. But it is an easy way for employees to defer money into a um, retirement plan. And it's just, you know, and oftentimes employers give a match of some sort, right? So there's a huge incentive for uh, employers uh, or employees to, to start contributing to a 401k plan. Uh, now, from a tax standpoint, it's great too, right? Because what happens with with when you defer money into a four hundred one k plan? It's it's a tax deduction going in. So if you let's say you have earned income of thirty thousand dollars, but you defer five thousand into a four hundred one k plan, where you're only going to have taxable income of twenty five thousand dollars, and so you know that's a you know that can be a nice incentive to contribute to a four hundred one k plan. Yeah, exactly, and. Like you said, they, we use them interchangeably because of the, the the tax nature of those accounts, and a little bit different. Um, and one another thing that's a little bit different is that the 
I guess the contribution level is is different. So for a traditional IRA, it's the same as a Roth where you put $6,000 in and you can put $7,000 in a year if you are above 50 or above. However, a 401k, you can contribute up to 19,500 a year, but obviously can go over that through an employer match. Yep, that's right. So the contribution level is significantly higher for yep. a 401k plan than it is with an IRA. Yep. And so, um, it, you know, and you can use both of these to your advantage depending on your situation. So what what is that tax impact, you know, kind of that you talked about earlier that these are taxed kind of on the same level? What What is that level? Yeah. So, you know, when you contribute money into these plans, of course, you get a tax deduction based on you know, where, where you are in your income, uh, in the income tax brackets, right? So higher earning people get more of a tax break on contributing these to, than people who are lower income. Uh, but when you take money out, uh, everyone is kind of taxed according to their uh, tax rate, right? So if you have someone who's, you know, 70 years old who has pension income of $100,000, but then they're also pulling money out of their 401k, or IRA, well, that's taxed on top of the hundred thousand, and so you just have to be aware of where a person is in the tax brackets, and uh, to know what the real tax cost is on on pulling money out of four hundred one ks and IRAs. Yeah, and, and you know, in addition to talk about pulling money out of those accounts, uh, required minimum distributions (RMDs) are a huge part of these accounts because they're not existent in Roth IRAs, but they are existent in you know traditional IRAs in that they're essentially, you know, at age now, 72 or older, you have to take out a required, you know, minimum amount from your IRA or 401k, right? If it's, if you're not working yep. um, every single year and you can do what you want with that money, but you have to take it out of that account or you're hit with a hefty penalty of 50% of whatever, let's say, you know, you owe, your RMD is $50,000, you don't take it. You have to pay a penalty of $25,000 just for missing that required minimum distribution. So this can be a huge you know, penalty or planning strategy depending on how you, you use it. Yeah, that's right. And you know, not, not, most people are aware that you know, you're required to take distributions out at some point, and yep. it becomes pretty, uh, you know, it's, you're kind of on cruise control. You know, it's just one of those things that you at age 72 will do. Yeah. Um, when you start, um, you know, thinking about just taking distributions, it's just part of that. But, um, you know, it's, it's still, a, you know, there's a lot of benefits in it because it grows, it grows tax deferred. Uh, and then you pull money out and it is taxable. But um, still, there's a lot of advantages in 401ks and, and traditional IRAs as well. Yeah, and so we talked about this on uh, one of our previous podcasts, but the Secure Act enabled or enacted a ten-year rule, and you know we've had a lot of questions and and concern about this ten-year rule in respects to the RMD. And so, if you could kind of walk us through what the Secure Act, you know, kind of said about the ten-year rule uh, without with taking money from inherited IRAs. Yeah, so the, the Secure Act basically says, okay, when a, a non-spouse uh, beneficiary um, when a, when a non-spouse passes away, so let's say that you know you you inherit your dad's IRA who yeah. just passes away, that you as the non-spousal beneficiary have ten years to deplete that account, and so if you think about it, 
you know, that's a that can be a big uh, problem for people, right? So let's say you you inherit a, a million dollar IRA, which sounds great, until you realize, okay, I've got to take out a certain amount each year. You know, so naturally you might think, okay, well let's take a hundred thousand out each year for ten years. Yeah. Um, but you know what happens there is it's taxed on in addition to your ordinary income tax rate. So so it, let's say you're you're earning you know, $100,000, you have you have a job, you're earning $100,000 a year, well, you've got to take $100,000 out of an account, well, that's all taxed, and it's taxed to you at the highest, uh, you know, highest tax rate, yeah. you know, and so it's, it, it's some strategy in this decision, because what you can do is delay that or, or accelerate that, you know, you can take it all out in one year, or you can take it all out in the 10th year, and yeah. so to me, it's a it's based on your own personal circumstances on how that works. And so, you know, there's a little bit of planning, um, year over year planning that really needs to happen so that you can optimize um, those distributions. Yeah, exactly. That, you know, and that's a big theme of, of this podcast and, you know, any podcast we do is that it, you know, there's not, you know, I think a lot of um, you know, websites, companies, especially, you know, clickbait articles that we see all the time, you know, what type of investment account should I use? You know, they could say always Roth, or always personal brokerage, but it really, you know, they could say that for a lot of topics, but, uh, you know, our answer a lot of times is it depends or I don't know, <laughs> you yeah. know, which, which can be super helpful because every single person is different. Yep, it is. And, you know, if you think about it, though, if you take a step back and think about all the different types of accounts and a person's personal circumstances, you know, they're saving for multiple um, investment objectives at one time, right? So for some people, you're saving for education, you're saving for retirement, you're saving for a down payment on a house, you're saving for all these different things. And so one of the important areas where advisors can help is, is to help you prioritize those, those goals and to determine and help you figure out, you know, how much you need to be deferring into each type of account. And it's so incredibly important because it, it just makes a huge difference over time. Like the the flexibility with withdrawals, the taxation of it, and uh, you know both uh, and your ability to access you know during pre fifty nine versus post fifty nine, and it just helps. Uh, you know, a, a good advisor can help you prioritize that and it be specific to your situation. It's just uh, I can't speak highly enough about. Um, the role that an advisor could play yeah. Uh, here. Yeah, and uh, and again, you know, someone, you know, a lot of our clients and, you know, a lot of people, you know, can have all three of these accounts or more within their portfolio. And that's, you know, a big part of what we do is kind of managing how to invest and what to do with, with each of these accounts because they are, every single account is very different. Yeah, I mean, and some 401k plans have the ability to contribute to a Roth component of the yeah. 401k plan itself, right? So that's another little quirk. Uh, in this because, you know, a 401k plan is already set up. It's easy to access. The the employer has already chosen an investment menu of high-quality investment options. And, you know, you know, it's easy to take that path of least resistance of, oh, well, let's, which, which, am I going to do the Roth or the 401k? And what, how to, how do I prioritize that? You know, and it's just, it's, it's confusing. And, um, but it's, it's one of those things that it's important to kind of understand the, the basics. So I'm super glad that we, um, you know, had this discussion today and, and, and went through the pros and cons of these types of accounts. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that kind of wraps us up there. And, you know, 
answer the question, what type of investment account should I use? And it depends, but it's important to know the pros and cons and the ins and outs of, of all of these accounts. Absolutely. So, Chip, thank you again for joining us. Glad to have you back, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. Oh, 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 oh,